Welcome to Fruiting Body Podcast with your host, Brendan. Today, we have an absolute legend of a guest. It is Jade Siri Sampen. Now, what is this episode going to be about? Who is pulling the strings behind the World Muay Thai Organization? We're going to be learning about the ITMA and M2MMA, brand new uh, MMA and Muay Thai type of fight promotions coming to you next year, but specifically how we got connected through our good friend Joey is the ITMA. Now, I'm going to let Jade explain all that, and before we do, she's going to tell you her life story. You know, what went involved in this whole, you know, operations behind Muay Thai? Who's, who is pulling those strings, as I just repeated earlier? And we've always shown this podcast from the angle of the Muay Thai fighters, but we want to show the operational side and what's going on back there. So don't forget to like, subscribe, hit that bell, that notification, buy our mushrooms. We're doing lion's mane, fruiting body, uh, reishis, cordyceps, all that fun stuff. Nothing psychedelic yet. So without further ado, we have Jade on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Did, for did, I, me. did I hit all those notes? You did very well. <laughs> that's that's really the nice introduction. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> okay. And we we just rehearsed that right before. So. <laughs> if I try to rehearse that, like let's say the day before, I will totally butcher it. Yeah. So it's much better. Okay. Give it to me fresh and yeah. And let's get it. Okay. Um, just to begin, as we do in the Fruiting Body podcast, we'd like to hear about your life story. So, Jade, take it mm -hmm. away. Where were you born? And tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. I was born in Manchester, England. I'm half Thai, half English. My dad's Thai. Um, we'll go into him a little bit. But, yeah, he's the he's Grandmaster Woody, some people know him as. And he's one of the main people who brought Muay Thai to England and then spread it around the West. And he was teaching Muay Thai all over the world. Yeah, you were telling me about that. Mm -hmm. He was one of the first to kind of leave Thailand, bring it to the UK yep. and and start building Muay Thai gyms. So he would have met your mother over there. Correct. And at this point, he was coming over in the 70s. Yes. Um, I mean, let's not. I'm, I'm a bit old, too. So let's not date each other. Uh, like not in that way. You know, you <laughs> yeah, get yeah. my point. So. When when he came over there mm -hmm. and now you were born in the 80s, the 90s. 90s. 90s, okay. 92. Okay, 92. <laughs> Sorry, we, we, we don't like to share too much information there. Um, what was it like growing up there, especially maybe with your father? He must have had some serious, powerful influence in the Muay Thai community. Every, you must have been growing up in Muay Thai gyms. Um, yeah, so he also had Thai restaurants as well. So we had that in Manchester, the one of the first uh, Thai restaurants. And he had a karaoke bar like on the second floor and the Muay Thai gym on the, on the top floor. Um, so he was doing a lot of things like Thai. <laughs> so I was around a lot of Thai people, even though I was in England. Um, our restaurant was right by Chinatown as well. Um, but yeah, it was kind of crazy. Like I, I would have a very English life, but then this other part of my life was like very Asian. Um, yeah, so he would teach Muay Thai uh, as well as have the restaurants and he would bring over fighters from Thailand and host events in England and teach uh, teach Muay Thai around England and fly to different countries and teach seminars and come back. He would also go to Thailand every March to do these world championships ever since I was existing. <laughs> so this is even the beginning of the world Muay Thai organization? Um, yes, but back then it wasn't called that. It was a different organization. But he has been doing amateur Muay Thai since day one, since it first began with uh, the Thai government. And as you're growing up in, in the UK and you... you there's the restaurant, there's the karaoke, there is the the, the Muay Thai mm -hmm. uh, gym as well. Were you growing up in those gyms? Were you kicking pads at the age of two? No, I was just running around being very naughty and kicking people. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> and how did, how did you transition into Muay Thai? I've checked out, I mean, we went over your, your Instagram account. You're involved in now, you know, there's a passion there. Mm-hmm. You're involved in the uh, M2MMA and the ITMA. The, so clearly you're, you're, you're heavily involved. When did you start to, you know, find that passion for Muay Thai? So we moved to Thailand when I was 14. And then my dad would host MBK Fight Night. Uh, around maybe the age of like 16 or 17. And I would help out as a ring girl, just holding the sign up, you know. Um, And I saw two girls fighting one evening and I said to my mom or I said to someone, I was like, those girls are like my size. They look like me, I I could fight them. I really thought that. And then I told my dad, I wanna fight. And he was like, no, you cannot. (laughs) So I went to his friend's gym, Master Toddy, and trained with his friend and then had my first fight and I won and I showed everyone that I could do it. So. And everyone's familiar with Master Toddy as well. I mean, yeah. now, was sorry, was this in the UK or in Thailand? This was in Thailand. Okay. Yeah. In Bangkok? Yes, in Bangkok. Okay. So we moved to Thailand uh, really the end of 2006. So you, you were doing your, um, like, primary school in the UK. So you're coming, so you're coming over here kind of at the tail end of your high school. Yes, it was a bit strange. What was that transition, like, kind of, you know, going from the UK, coming back to Thailand and still... Thailand has is not really what Thailand is today. I, th- I feel like the doors didn't really open up till probably 2005, 2006. Yeah. So you coming back to Thailand and Bangkok in that time, it's still very Thailand. Yes. What was that transition like coming into the schools? Difficult. Well, I went to an international school when I first moved over, which was also very, very strange. It was like the Disneyland of schools. Uh, my school in England was a government school, so it was quite rough. And then I went to this really posh private international school in Bangkok actually Bangkok Pattern the School if anyone knows that they know what it's like um, and I was like this is a different world like the kids actually care about studying <laughs> like where I came from they didn't care about that at all they just wanted to mess about um, so that transition was difficult all this all the kids had this strange international accent which maybe I have now <laughs> um, and my tie was like zero really yeah I guess so yeah you wouldn't have been using it in England at all yeah but I mean obviously your tie is fluent now how did you start to learn did you have to go start studying were you just talking to your father or within that network um I studied a little bit and then once I started Muay Thai that's when I started to learn Thai but I also started to learn Isan and I was speaking Isan and not speaking Thai and I wasn't sure why I was because Isan's a northern dialect and most fighters are from there right um so I was quite confused and then I had to get a tutor to fix my Thai to be like more proper Thai <laughs> were you learning the reading and writing as well yeah okay and I can't write I can read them okay and that yeah oh okay you can't write you can read that's interesting because uh, we were talking before um I've studied Chinese I got to a point where I could write mm-hmm. and then you kind of give up, but you can read. It's, it's, it is two different things completely. Yeah, because yeah. I can't think of the, the letters like when I wanted to t- write, right? Mm-hmm. But if I want to like, you know, do a voice note or like, you know, dictation, that's okay. Yeah, same, same in the Chinese. <laughs> I, but I wouldn't be able to actually write it by hand. Um, so now, now you're, coming back, you're coming back from the UK. You're, you're in Thailand. You're getting into Muay Thai and MA. You're training at Master Toddy's. When did your dad find out what the hell was going on? Well, he knew I went there because he said no, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, if you're not going to train me, then go to Master Toddy's, which was actually really close to our house at the time. So it was easy. And then once my first fight was coming up, my dad did come and he supported me. And then when he saw that, then he was like, okay, yes, you can fight. I just I, Maybe he didn't believe I could actually do it. So that's why I had to show him. You had to prove him. Have, yeah. you, have you always been like that? Is that your personality? Yes. Like if you say no, I'm going to do it. Yes. Yeah. With my dad especially, mm. yeah. Sorry, it's okay? 
Okay, so no, we 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 got some new production on the background, so it's throwing me off, but we're all good. Um, were you training with the intention, like, was it for exercise? Were you like, you know what, I'm actually going to pursue this as a career? Um, well, during my teenage years, I would train for exercise. That's all. Um, but when once I had wanted to have that first fight, it was just to have that first fight and just try it, and that was it. But then stepping into the ring and that adrenaline, that tunnel vision, all of those feelings that you're feeling is can be it's unmatched like I've never felt that way in any other I've been skydiving I've been like bungee jumping but no like fighting is a different feeling and that was a bit addictive and I was like okay I want to feel this again so okay I'll have another fight I'll have another fight and then 20 fights later here you go <laughs> did you take it to uh, like a, a level in terms of where you're fighting on promotions for belts or how far did you end up going with this yeah um well I fought my dad's world championships a few times Got my ass kicked sometimes, but yeah, I also won as well towards the, at the end, at the very end. Would you go back and study tapes of your father fighting? Were you trying to adapt any of his fighting style, or did you create your own? I think it was my own. I was quite a brawler. <laughs> now, there's, I can't remember off the top of my head, but there's many different forms of Mai Tai. You have the, uh, people that are maybe focusing on the knees, elbows striking, maybe defense, and obviously you can probably explain to us First, can you explain, like, what are the different types of Muay Thai fighters and what type were you? So Muay Fimur is when they use basically all, all weapons, all techniques. Muay Kao is a knee fighter. And then Muay Mat is the pun more puncher. And with Muay Sok, I wouldn't really say you get Muay Sok, which is elbow. I think that would come with the knees. Yeah, and I was Muay Fimur. But my favorite technique was head kick. Head kick. Yeah, I'm quite flexible, so it was just easy to, like, pop, like, pop, mm. my, pop my kick over <laughs> And, and your, your father's style at the time, what was his style? Um, so it's interesting. So my dad, growing up, he learned Taekwondo and Muay Thai together. So he kind of combined the both. Like he would do a lot of like spinning and jumping and all this kind of crazy stuff. Mm. Yeah. Kind of like uh, maybe he was the inspiration for these guys like Sanchai coming up as well. Because I mean, initially I'm, I have to assume like your father, like uh, like Master Todi, like these guys were the inspirations for your boo cows and your Sanchez. They're pre- I'm not sure them. because they weren't like the most top or well-known fighters. Mm. It, they only got really well-known once they moved to the West. So it's my dad, Master Todi and Master Sken. And so they went to the West and then just started teaching and doing all these crazy stuff. And then they got in the magazines over there because it was the same time that the Bruce Lee movies were coming out. So everyone was so into like martial arts. Mm. And then these three guys from Thailand who were like also like Taekwondo and Muay Thai combining, doing all these crazy stuff, like it just boomed. How did this all come together where organizations started to develop and now you're getting involved with them? Maybe can you get a, a bit of a background history story of what put that together initially, which is not what we're calling the World Muay Thai Organization. It would have had a name before that. Can you walk yes. us through the history of that and what it is today? Um, so the original or the first amateur Muay Thai championships, World Muay Thai championships were in Bangkok and they were early 90s, possibly, I want to say like 93 or 94. And so my dad, would he was part of that since the very beginning. And I can't remember the organization, ITMF, maybe IT, ITMTF or something like that. And then so there was a bunch of guys who joined there and then more of these people got different ideas and then they branched off into different organizations such as IFMA. I'm sure you've heard of IFMA. And I'm, it's getting political probably yeah, at this point. So then it gets I very political. Just like pr yeah. fight promotions. Same yeah, idea. and so it got very, very political. IFMA went on. My dad had one of the one called WMF and he was the vice president of WMF. 
for a very long time, maybe like around 10 years. And so IFMA was hosting their events, WMF was hosting their events. I think another one was hosting their events. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was consistent for a very long time. Um, my dad was not the president because it was like some uh, army general. And I think it only could be at that, po at that time. Mm. Um, so after 10 or so years, again, more politics happened and it kind of broke down and the organization fell apart. And then my dad created his own WMO. And from that, these are, they're, they're moving into actual fight promotions that are very well known internationally and across Thailand? Yeah, yeah. WMO is a sanctioning body and we sanction a lot of fights around the world now. Where, what countries are you going to and how have you seen that grown over the past years? Oh, it's, it's boomed. This, what, what countries? The UK, it's all over the UK, um, South America, Australia, places in Europe. It's everywhere now. Like, I really see WMO growing a lot and it's really nice to see. At which, point, at which point did you get involved on the operations in the back end? I mean, you have to remember your first day, maybe getting the call up. I, I know maybe everyone starts doing admin work and then you move your way up. Can mm -hmm. you walk, walk us through your experience working with them? Hmm, interesting. Uh, well, when I was fighting, I was just focused on fighting. Um, and then I guess I went to the States after that for like a year. I was studying sports uh, science, sports coaching. Came back and maybe when I came, yeah, I came back from the States. So maybe around 2017, I started to do more with WMO because we had a, a partner from China who wanted to host events too. So we hosted our first event in Timor Leste, that small island. I've been. Yeah. Oh, you've been? Dilly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, there's nothing there, but it's, it's a great place. <laughs> That's very place. strange, but okay. <laughs> um, and we hosted another event, like an all-female fight in Pattaya. And then, yeah, and then COVID happened. And then I kind of switched over to... Um, psychology. I got a master's degree in counseling psychology at that time and uh, then just kind of like took a break from Muay Thai. It, it became too much for me. Like, mo like Muay Thai was just like all over the place. Like I just like I needed it. I need a break. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I did the psychology thing and then COVID happened and I got a job as a, a counselor, a therapist at school and then I did that for a couple of years. Is this in, in the US or in Thailand? In Thailand now. Okay. Back in Thailand. Yeah. And now I've just kind of stopped doing that earlier this year. Um, I was doing it privately after the school. I stopped doing that and now I'm coming back into the Muay Thai world again. And you, you kind of got that bug, it bitchy, you got to get back into Muay Thai. How are you planning to, have you thought long-term apply, applying like maybe mental health with the Muay Thai world? Yeah, so I was really into studying sports psychology for a long time and how, to, how can we, yes, combine this, right? And there de definitely is ways, but it really depends on each individual and how they perceive it and how they are open to it as well. But I would definitely love to do something. Do you believe that like the male Muay Thai fighters maybe suppress their emotions, whether what they're feeling in the gym? Because we, I think only people living here like my, myself know there are real stories behind other Muay Thai gyms, especially how males could uh, treat uh, younger fighters yeah. with the whipping of the stick, the smacking in the nuts. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people maybe from the Western world don't, don't, they don't understand what goes on behind the scenes yeah. and growing up in these difficult situations, they have to essentially in that brotherhood suppress those emotions. Um, in, in your position, bringing in mental health and, and even addressing that in those gyms, is it even possible or, or to the boys club, they're going to be pushing back? Um, as a group, no. Individually, yes. So, of course, they don't want to like show in front of their friends that they are they have weaknesses, you know. But a lot of them do, especially the Thais, because they grew up in in Muay Thai camps. They so they that means they grew up, up away from their families. 
you know they just grew up with someone telling them they have to wake up and train and if they don't train hard, hard enough they get hit and so on you know they're not getting guidance in life so that i'm sure that causes a lot of uh you know mental health and instability later in life have you had any one-on-one -on -one conversations with people in these situations um not so deep but maybe on the surface like i know i, I have had fighters who have struggled in the past with mental health and usually what they do rather than talking about it they you know engage in self-harm or something like that how apparent Maybe in these gyms, I mean, we all know that, yeah, but it's a, a major epidemic yeah. within Thailand. I mean, countless stories. You can see it on the streets of Phuket. I can see it across the street here. These Yaba, we call them the Wenwen kids, ripping around 4 a.m. And clearly they're on Yaba. Um, this Yaba leaking into the younger generation, is that still leaking into the gyms? Maybe not so much in Phuket, mm -hmm. but do you see it in places like Bangkok or Isan? Um, I've seen it in gyms. I've also seen it in Phuket gyms as, as well. I've been to one gym before and like, the trainer was clearly off his face. He was like rolling around the floor and I'm just, I was just like, why am I here? <laughs> like, um, so I've seen it and it still happens. Maybe not as much, but then I don't know. Yeah. And do you think maybe that's their advice for, you know, this hard, these hard times they have yeah. to live? Because maybe you can explain on, on a much deeper level, mm -hmm. like walk us through the typical life of a, a young Muay Thai fighter, like from the age of four until maybe even 18. And what is their day-to-day -day life? What is the pressure? What do they feel? Yeah, I think their life is very constricted. Like, you know, us in the West are, people from the West, they can travel, they can go and experience different things. Like the world is open to them. But for these Muay Thai fighters, they grow up in the Muay Thai camp from, from yeah, from very young age, like maybe like five years old, six years old. So I mean, essentially I started fighting at eight years old, right? Um, same thing, and then they, they quit school when they're a teenager, just continue fighting, and go continue fighting until they're t in their twenties, and then become a trainer, and they're, so they're still in the gym. There's nothing else. There's nothing else to the world. Are they given that roadmap at a young age, or are they presented that maybe later? Of you know, here's your here's your here's your roadmap right now. As a young kid, maybe you get your fights. They're making the five thousand baht in Patong. Yeah. That can go back to Isan. It helps the family. They can keep training. Um, now maybe they can move up in promotions. They can go to Lumpini Stadium. They can be champion. Yeah. Eventually, after champion, their goal is to maybe get um, to become a trainer to be able to go maybe to Singapore, or Dubai, and really make some money. Are they told this roadmap at a young age or when does this kind of ideas come together? No, they're not. Um, I think what, what they're told is they just want to fight to get money for their families and they want to be a champion one day. And that's kind of it. Being Buddhist, they're also very in the moment, right? So they're not thinking about the future so much. Mm. Yeah, I didn't think of it that way either. And I guess these opportunities kind of just rise spur of the moment. It's not some sort of, you know, structured life yeah. plan. Because, I mean, like, they're, uh, growing up in the camp, they're away from their families who are, who are not people, who are not telling them, like, oh, when you, when you become, when you're 18 years old, you can go study this or that, you know, like, no, nobody's there to tell them that. So all they're seeing is Muay Thai. Mm. All they're hearing is Muay Thai. Everything's just Muay Thai. So, yes, maybe once, if now we have promotions like One Championship offering more opportunities, giving, them more, giving more money, and then they can go and open a gym. But that's all they can think of, like, oh, now I can open a gym. And it just kind of happens yeah, but, yeah, yeah. As, as they're growing. These more Isan gyms, like in, say, Buriram, I mean, yeah. the Muay Thai fighters there, it's much different than Phuket. 
Um, here, they, you're making much more money. Mm. They're, I mean, they're, they're living in bamboo huts. They're eating, you know, very Thai-style rice, maybe a little veg, a little meat. Mm -hmm. But generally, from the outside, they seem quite happy. Is that true? I think so. It's a very simple life. Right. And they don't have much to think about. So I think once your world is more open, it's also more complex, right? So maybe there's more to think about, like, oh, maybe I should be doing this or aiming for this next. You know, maybe we're not satisfied with our lives because we, we have too much things. You know, we have too many options, but then they have less options and it's more simple. So maybe they are happily, happy with what they have. I've always wondered because the ones that maybe cannot go on to be a champion or be a trainer, uh, eventually Muay Thai comes to an end. What do they end up doing? And maybe from your father's uh, generation and perspective, I'm sure he has lots of friends that did not go into Muay Thai. Does, does he have relationships with them or that conversation? Like where do the people that don't continue to Muay Thai, where do they go? Um, so my, my dad's a different story. He wasn't actually a professional fighter. Yep. So his, he, growing up in Bangkok, he's from Bangkok, um, it's a different sort of situation. It's usually the countryside people who go to, to become fighters. Mm. Um, so my dad didn't have that. His parents, I don't think, allowed him to fight properly. Um, he only started Muay Thai because his uncle owned like a car garage and there was also Muay Thai camp uh, with that car garage and all the staff used to train over there. So my dad got into it. Um, but to answer your question about what uh, retired fighters do next if it's not Muay Thai, I usually see a lot of like Muay Thai, uh, taxi drivers. Ah, they end up going to be... A lot of taxi drivers. Well, there, there you go. That's why don't fuck with taxi drivers in <laughs> Thailand. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I watch these Russians or just in general living in Thailand, don't fuck with Thai people. Yes. This, they can be 120 pounds and you could be 220 and they will sit you on your ass. Yeah. They're, you're going to learn real quick. And those, mo and those taxi drivers out there like... They have their own little world as well. And sometimes you watch the Russians get a bit fired up. I'm like, mm. you got to be careful. Because, yeah, these taxi drivers can go zero to 100 real oh, quick. for sure. Yeah. And, and there, there was a story, there was a story, oh, this must have been before COVID. Actually, it was taxi driver on taxi driver in Patong where they came and just shot <gasps> each other with a gun. Yeah. yeah, that happens too. So they don't really have any um, anger management. No. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, Thailand it can it can definitely but I mean it my my way of life in Thailand is just don't fuck with people. Yeah. Well, and I think that you should apply that should that be a everywhere. way of life. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's it's a bit different in places like Canada and the US it's like you can because the the police are a call away or a camera's here mm. so that people kind of get they they feel a bit more safe but here they don't give a shit. No, and and if you're a foreigner standing shit with a Thai person here what, if that's one person then expect 10 people coming. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it, it just is what it is. Yeah. So, yeah, be very careful. I mean, I mean, just treat everyone with respect and it's no problem from there. Exactly. Let's transition into the ITMA. Yeah. Uh, that's how we initially connected through Joey. Joey's been on the podcast. Thanks a lot, Joey. And I thought it's very interesting what you're doing. And I told the boys up at Bangtao MMA, I'm like, you should oh, check cool. this out. This is very cool. It's something completely different. I think it's an excellent um, content opportunity as well. Mm -hmm. How did that come together? Explain everything about the ITMA. Okay, so it's also part of the World Muay Thai organization, right? And, and how we would host um, amateur world championships every year. And so I think it was six years ago, like without COVID, um, some people contact, contacted my dad and they wanted to do more martial arts. And so my dad also did amateur Muay Baran. Okay, so now it, now it gets political again. IFMA kind of... Meaning the style. Um, yeah. So IFMA are the, the main body for amateur Muay Thai, mm. right? And 
it's hard for any other organization to do amateur Muay Thai without having a problem with IFMA. Mm-hmm. Okay, in, in most respects, in the nicest way to say it, that's the facts. They're kind right? of controlling the what's going on. Amateur Muay Thai, yes. Mm. Yeah, so WBC, they're starting amateur Muay Thai, right? They've been just been starting a few couple of years now. So good luck with them. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's why my dad, he changed ours to amateur Muay Baran. And we have pro-am Muay Thai and we have professional Muay Thai as well. And on top of that, we also have uh, Dab Thai, which is Thai sword, and Kita Muay Thai, which is like Muay Thai, sort of like choreographed aerobics in a way. So people do like a show. And my Muay Thai, which is like the performance fight, which uses the traditional styles. Muay mm. Baran, is this the one with the stick? No. no. Muay Baran is uh, just, it's the ancient style of Muay Thai. So Muay Baran was used in the war and so on. And it, be, it became a sport later when they created the ring, right? And uh, it, that's when it be, became Muay Thai. How, how does it differentiate from Muay Thai? Uh, Muay Baran uses the ropes and it's lower and there's more like fancy moves. Whereas Muay Thai is the gloves, it's in a ring, it's safer in, in, a, in a sense. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so Moy Baran's kind of like from the movie Kickboxer with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yeah. Like this where they, they got the ropes on their hand, they're uh, in the ring. Yeah. Interesting. And and were, were he, was headbutting allowed? In, in like I know that's Letway, but was headbutting, or was this I traditionally mean, a part of it? Like thousands of years ago, probably. Probably. I think there's some, there's some images I've seen, like, you know, like wall art and so on. I think there is some headbutt moves. Is there a... Uh, controversy or argument in the, the the narrative of where Muay Thai originated? Is it Thailand? Yes. Is it Myanmar? Is it uh, Cambodia? Um, I'm going to say it's from Thailand, <laughs> so no one <laughs> kills me after. Um, but there's a big issue um, Khmer, like Cambodia. Mm. So they've called their sport Khun Khmer, and there was a, just last year or earlier this year a, a big issue because they had they were hosting the Sea Games. And so in the Sea Games, it's Muay Thai, but they didn't want to call it Muay Thai. They wanted to call it Khun Khmer because they believed it's from Cambodia. So, yeah. But the style is, is, it's just another name, but the style is the same. It's the same. It's the same. It's the same. I guess, that, but this is always with, with Laos, or mm-hmm. not so much Laos is in the mix, but like Myanmar and Thailand and Cambodia, they're yeah. all trying to, we, we are the originators of this. But like from time to time over the years, like part of Thailand was Cambodia, part of Cambodia was Thailand and so on. So we all were maybe one country once upon a time. So mm. I can imagine how that could get confused, right? Because, I mean, if it originated from Thailand, then it makes sense that it would also be from Cambodia and from, like, Laos and so on. Yeah, I mean, and there's even, like... Um, like, Thai dance looks very similar with Cambodian dance and, you know, all It would have all kind of blend together at, at a certain point. Yeah. And, and essentially, I mean, even East End, they're looking much more Cambodian than they are Thai. Yeah. And the language as well starts to bleed into this uh, Khmer type of Cambodian language. Yep. Um, yeah, no, it's interesting to kind of pinpoint how that all together. There's even, if people aren't familiar, like the Hmong, the Hmong tribe. Mm-hmm. They live, where do they live? Okay, maybe they're Myanmar, maybe they're in the mountain. Yeah. But they don't actually have a country or a passport, but they are completely different. Yeah. Like if I have two guys at my gym who, who are that. They have an ID that says, like... They can live in Thailand, but they're not Thai, even though they were born in Thailand. But they were born at the border near, uh, near Myanmar, but like they can never be Thai, basically. Mm. It's just kind of like a, a it's residence. Like you're allowed card to live or? here, basically. Yeah, there's an interesting place. Um, what's it called? It's like the 
Or it's it pretty much it's if you go from Bangkok yeah. and you want to go to the Three Pagodas Pass, which is the Myanmar border. Yeah. There's a town there. I can't remember. I've been there. I can't remember the name of it. I'm not sure. And when you get there, there's there's a, a teak bridge that splits. It goes like this and splits like that. And on this side of the teak bridge is Thai. That is um, uh, the Bur- uh, uh, Myanmar, Burmese. Yeah. And that one's Hmong. Oh. And then there's a Muay Thai ring there. And every Friday, they all fight each other. Oh, I think my fighters have fought that before. Yeah, it's really yeah. cool. But they all get along. But yeah. they all have their own. Like This town is super small. It's just a teak bridge on some sort of river that separates Whoa. it. And then if you just go, I don't know, 20 minutes away, you hit the Myanmar border. Yeah. They call it the Three Pagoda Pass. Wow. And I randomly, it's kind of on your way to Erewhon Falls. Okay. And then you just keep going. Yeah, if you yeah. pass Erewhon for two hours until you hit a border, this is where this town is. That's I forget so the name of it. I'm going to have to look it up. But that's where I first learned, okay, wait, why is there, who are the Hmongs? What are they doing here? Yeah. And then you start to realize a completely different culture. Um, okay, we, we digress. Back, <laughs> back into the ITMA. So this is going to be happening in Nyharn. No. Oh, I thought I thought it was. No, it's happening at Sapanhin Stadium in uh, close to Old Town, Bangkok. Uh, uh, Old so Town, Phuket. Oh, it's Phuket Town. Mm-hmm. Okay, because I thought your guys going to. So it's that's the name of the stadium out there. Sapanhin Stadium. Yeah. Just um, explain a bit. It's a seven-day event. What type of events? What can people expect to be seeing mm-hmm. there? So the full name is International and Thai Martial Arts Games. It's our sixth one next year. 2024 um what to expect we have some amateur muay brand uh pro am muay thai professional muay thai amateur boxing um amateur kickboxing from the iska and karate also from them Ju- jiu-jitsu from carlson gracie federation jeet kundo and uh dab thai and <laughs> kita muay thai and memai muay thai that's it. That's all. That's it. No, that's <laughs> it. No, no I'm trying to remember everything, uh, as well as seminars. We're going to host seminars for judging referees and seminars in Mubaran and Dab Thai. And the ISK will also host, host seminars in judging referee for kickboxing and for MMA. And each martial art will have its own tournament style? Or how does that work? Yeah. To, to announce the winner. So kind of like a like a playoff bracket. Yep, exactly. How And, you, and uh, so people understand... People are coming from all over the world. Yes. How many countries are coming? Um, hopefully around 50. We're, we're, yeah. And, and you, so, you were telling me something over 1,000 people have signed up, ready to go. Yeah, we're expecting over 1,500 people in total. How do these people, I mean, you're getting, in many countries, maybe they're not as wealthy as others. I mean, the funding to come to Thailand, to, to train here, to participate. Yeah. How does that all work in terms of sponsorship? Are they funding it themselves? Um, so it depends on each person. So, so for example, if we have our national representative in Australia, right? So they will contact all the people who would like to go and then maybe they'll host tournaments and all these, and these tournaments that they host will have sponsorship or the people who pay tickets, it will help towards their funding. So whatever they do, that's up to them, you know, how to make the money and, and create the funds to come over. Yeah. Are they part of their own organizations within their own countries or, or are they all under the the umbrella of World Muay, Thai, World Muay Thai organization? For the Muay Thai, uh, for the most part, yes, under World Muay Thai organization. So we have our national representatives in different countries. We contact them and ask if they want to bring a team over. And that's usually how it works. And I think the same with ISKA. But it also is an open competition as well. So if anyone who's not connected to these organizations and wants to join, they can do. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I mean, th- this is a... 
it's a huge operation. It's, I mean, if you're running this many events out of um, in Phuket, mm -hmm. you guys must be requiring sponsorship. Have people reached out to you? How can people that maybe aren't aware that are in Thailand and it's very easy to connect, how do they connect to you and, and what do you guys expect? Like, what do you provide sponsors? Can you explain that whole uh, situation? Um, we have different packages, but of course, like, you know, having your logo on the ring. So the top one would be like ring canvas or um, the corner box, um, this side panel or along around the ring as well. And um, we have posters around the event. We, ha um, we have a mat area where, where we will host um, Ketel Muay Thai and Mema Muay Thai. And there'll also be like some like triangle stands around that to like block off and we'll, we'll put logos and sponsors around there. Our main stage where we have our opening ceremony, we'll have lots of sponsors there. Um, so... There's lots of opportunity to show your brand. And this is all happening pretty much early next year. Like, I think you said, what is it, like March, April? March. It's the 10th to the 17th of March. Okay, so if people want to help out and they're on the island, they need to reach out to you. What's yeah. the best way? Um, you can hit me up through Instagram. Okay, well, we'll put and all those, those links yeah, in the description as well. Because it is in, it's interesting, especially for maybe other Muay Thai gyms here or, or any sponsors. And again, this isn't some sort of plug in that way. I thought it was interesting, like to be a part of something yeah. that is quite different and unique and, and, and attaching your brand to that. We'll also have booths. Mm. So if anyone wants to like rent a booth out, then I think that would be a great way to uh, show we'll, your brand we'll, as well. We'll sell some mushrooms there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and also on the 17th of March, we have the worldwide crew ceremony. So this is something my dad was also part of from the very beginning. I think he was actually one who started it in the UTR. They would host it every year. And then in the past few years, um, TAT, Thailand Authority, uh, Tourism Authority of Thailand, um, they saw this spectacular event and then they started to invest in it and it became something really spectacular. So if you don't know what that is, Google it, the uh, Worldwide Crew Ceremony. It's incredible. Mm. Um, but now we're going to move our, and uh, do our part in, in Phuket on the 17th of March and that will be open for anyone to join. Uh, understanding the Y crew, because I mean, I get it. Maybe some people are yeah. like, Y crew, what do you mean? Can you explain what is Y crew in Muay Thai? Um, so you would see in traditional Muay Thai fights, before the fight, they will perform like a, a dance, right? I call it a ritual dance. And this is to show respect to their teacher, their god, whoever they want to. And uh, it would also be a way to psych out their opponents. So sometimes they have a different weapons, such as a sword or a bow and arrow. Sometimes these days you see people who get guns <laughs> and they'll mim mimic that weapon and like hit their opponent with it. Um, but traditionally it's about respect. And so Waikou ceremony is to show respect to your teachers, the people who have taught you Muay Thai and their teachers and, their te and the whole lineage. Um, so this day is for that. And, and every fighter usually has their own style, like your John Wayne Pars and... They have their own Waikou style as yeah. well. What was your Waikou style? Um, I had a sword. That was my choice, of my weapon of choice. And I did my makeup and my hair. <laughs> yeah, quite a girly touch to my Waikou. Yeah, it's it's interesting to watch. And many Farangs, I, if you notice, they if they're training for like a fight at Patong Stadium, they might not follow through on the Waikou. Yeah. How do the Thais respond to that? Are they accepting of that or is this disrespectful? Well, when I watch a fight and I see someone, one person performing a, a really nice long white crew and then the other opponent not performing one, I'm thinking, this opponent who didn't do it is a beginner. <laughs> so that's just how I see it. Mm -hmm. This person who knows what he's doing with the white crew, he knows Muay Thai. He's been doing this for a long time. So that's all I see straight away. It's not about respect. I think each to their own. Um, it is nice that they go in with a, a Moncon and Prajit and at least like maybe they'll seal the ring, but um, that's what I see from it. 
Yeah, maybe for the guys gambling at those stadiums, we don't endorse gambling. That's probably a big part of it. Like, shit, his his Y crew is pretty good, and that guy <laughs> ain't. I'm putting my money on him. Yeah, because if if you've trained so much, you've got time to train your Y crew. Right, and get that down pat. Yeah. Talk about the uh the we have the 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 Mong Kong Mong Kong Mong Kong. Yeah, sorry, I almost mispronounced that talk about the cultural importance of this what does it represent what is it traditionally made of um whoa good question i don't I know what it's traditionally made of sometimes Probably rope of some yeah sort. i think um you know the rope or like the cloth that they get at the temple i think because sometimes they can get it from monks or like some like sacred material but the monkon and the prajit which is the one they put on that arm um sometimes it has prayers in it or sometimes they'll, they'll make it and then they'll take it to the temple and have a monk bless it and why were they wearing it initially i mean this is probably a deeper history yeah. part of it like why how did they decide okay let's let's wear these i think back in the day or even today you still get many ties are very superstitious mm -hmm. and i think it's part of that so because it has a prayer in it it's like some sort of blessing and it gives them protection sometimes you'll see a fighter from time to time they'll wear like kind of like a t-shirt but it's full of sakyans which is the traditional Thai tattoo You'll see that when they go into the ring and do their white crew, because it's it's again it's getting more blessings, it's getting that protection. Mm -hmm. So it's just part of that. It's like wearing a Buddha. Mm -hmm. H have you done any uh, traditional Thai tattoos yourself? Yes. And is this on your back? Or? On my back. Um, explain that a little bit, because we see a lot of Farangs doing mm -hmm. it. Maybe uh, a couple drunk backpackers with elephant pants on that shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> you have to earn those tattoos. What are they? What do they represent? Um, so each is a prayer, and some of the symbols are little like Buddhas sat on the like pagoda or sat on, on the temple or, or whatever it is. And yeah, so each mantra and prayer has a different meaning, but usually it's for protection and blessings and all good things, of course. Um, but yeah, I think it's important to understand what you're doing. Um, they do say that it's bad luck to do it with a machine at like a tattoo shop. That's not, you shouldn't really do that. It's not traditional. Um, go to like a, a holy man or a monk and get it done with the, the long needle or the bamboo. Yeah, because people that haven't been to Thailand, which, what the hell are you talking about? I mean, can you describe what this machine actually is when they're, when they're using it? Um, so that's not a machine, it's just a really, no, really no, long sorry, needle. No, sorry, not a machine. It's, it's actually like, it's a bamboo stick and they're tapping like a needle. Yeah, so they can, there's two. There's like either the bamboo or an actual needle, like a metal needle that's really long. And yeah, they just they dip it in the ink and they just tap away and create this like really intricate tattoo. And it hurts. someone like yourself, <laughs> you, you have the, you're getting it on your back. I mean, this process, it's much slower than the machine. How long is that taking? Um, so I had one called Galliard, which is like a, a triangle shape at the top. Um, mine took about 30 minutes. Oh, okay. And so it's not too It's big. not like full but back. No, no, okay. no. And, and I fainted. <laughs> oh, hey. I fainted halfway. <laughs> so actually, actually, it took longer than that. But if I just combined. Was it the pain, the heat? Um, I just overthought it. Okay. And like this, I just thought it was like, oh my God, this needle's like tapping there on my spine. And like, I just freaked myself out and fainted. Yeah, I know a lot of people <laughs> that end up taking a lot of Valium and going to these places just like, and just lay there. Yeah. Um, but again, me. that's not a sacred thing, right? No, no. So Yeah, you've drugged yourself yeah. going in there. <laughs> and how did you decide that that was the one that was for you? Is there a, a, a big thought process? Do you take time to make that decision? Um, well, I had an idea, but then I also spoke to like my tattoo, my holy man. You know, and I asked him what he thought would be a good tattoo for me. What do you, like, um, someone at a temple nearby your um, home? Or what so, you yeah, so he, it's, he's not a monk, but he, his, 
he is blessed in some way to perform these tattoos because when they do the tattoo, when they finish it, they also um, say a prayer and it's a very like intricate like um, Sanskrit prayer. And so this needs to be done by someone who's kind of been, what's the right word, initiated in a way to be able uh, to like, do this. I guess like, uh, I don't know if this is the same word, but like like a priest in, in the, the Catholic, ordained. Yes, yes, So yes. I guess, is a monk ordained? I'm not sure if that's the right word. I'm not sure it's the right word, but something like that. Mm. Yeah. So rather than going to a tattoo shop where they just like use the buzzer machine and give you a tattoo and then you're on your, uh, maybe they'll stick some gold on it and leave you to go. No, it's not like that. Interesting. And... Do, do Thai people, when they're seeing Farangs, get these tattoos for more aesthetic purposes? Is is this something that you guys frown upon or you just kind of turn the other cheek? I'm not sure. To be honest, I feel like Thai people are not very judgmental. Mm. So each to their own. And why, when we come in and out of airports, see, I, I, I've never done, the, I have my own a tattoo I got when I was 14. I'm like, that's enough. I remember <laughs> I was like probably half this size. So it was just very painful. I'm like, that tattoo is good enough. But when we're flying in, in and out of airports, mm. there's huge signs that say don't get tattoos of, of Buddha. Buddha. Why is that? Because the you Buddha do head. see, you don't, I, I believe I've seen Thai people with Buddha head tattoos. Yeah, right? I have, I have too. It's okay. So wh why, why is it, uh, why, why do they, and they really put their massive mm -hmm. billboards. Why do they push that? Well, because we should respect Buddha, right? We should respect, like, not even to put, to put a Buddha on the floor. And I see a lot of these like yoga teachers will pop a Buddha on the floor <laughs> next to them. Um, but it's just a respect thing. But yeah, some Thais also have a Buddha image on their body. So I don't know, it's conflicting. Interesting. Yeah, that part mm -hmm. I, n I never understood. That's why we, we put this uh, Buddha up uh, much higher. higher. Yes. We had a little statue here, but then my one friend said it was too low. But then my girlfriend was like, no, 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 it's okay. He's like, well, your foot might be pointing at it. And I'm like, ah. Yeah, so that's a big thing as well, right? The feet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, don't point your feet towards sacred Sorry. things and don't put your feet high. So like when you see someone at a restaurant and they put their feet like up on the chair or the table, it's mm -hmm. kind of disrespectful. Yeah, and I think in any situation as well, you don't walk into someone's house and put your feet right on the table or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, okay, so ba again, back to the I ITMA. Now, yes. uh, this is going to be happening in March. Mm -hmm. And we also want to now transition into its uh, M2 MMA. Yes. I was about to say K2 because kickboxing, but I'm M2 MMA. Yeah. How did this all come together? Let us know what it's all about. It's a new fight promotion. Mm -hmm. People should be pumped. It's coming next year. Yeah. Um, so my other job, or my main job, actually, because all this ITMA, WMO, it's my dad's thing. I help him. Fine. Um, but I work for a company based in South Africa. They're called M2 Biosciences. And they actually do a lot of research with mushrooms and mycelium and hemp and so on. They're creating uh, medicines, they're creating packaging and, and many things. So they've opened a lot of uh, subdivisions underneath them. I'm helping out with M2 Sentient, which is about mental health and the senses. And the other one is M2 MMA. Um, I think it's because my the CEO, he loves MMA. He loves martial arts. He loves how they create discipline and respect and honor and so on. So he really wants to use that and utilize that and um, have our own promotion. Mm. And me being having my background, he's like, okay, Jay's the perfect person to help with this. So um, yeah, we will host our first two events in Phuket next year, um, end of March and end of May, and they will have Muay Thai and MMA. On the same event? Yes. On the same event. And yeah. how, how do you go about finding the talent, the fighters? What, what is that process? Um, well, I'll just do the same what I've done in the past, just contact the gyms and have the gym send their roster of fighters and 
pick out who we want from that. Yeah. Is there conflict of interest if those fighters have already fought on... Uh, do you remember MX? I don't know if MX is still going, is it? MX is not going, so that's fine. M did MX stop? MX Muay Thai? Yeah. Yeah, it stopped. That, that was pretty big at it one was point great. during COVID. Yeah. Because it was they went into the smaller gloves, mm -hmm. Muay Thai. Mm -hmm. what, what stopped them? Was it the was it one that kind of just took over? Um, I think the sponsorship. So it was Top King who helped to organize that. And then okay. also Top King had um, Top King World Series. And both of those stopped. So I'm not sure if anything happened with Top King. I don't really know. Because they'd be on like every Friday night. I remember what, yeah. eating a Thai shop, eating My fighter used to fight all the time. Oh, okay. It was great. Yeah, and a lot yeah. of the fighters, even the Farangs that were fighting in the Muay Thai gyms, they go out there and be in Bangkok. Um, so th there's, a, there's a gap in the market for that. For Let's say, obviously, you have your one championships, yeah. and this is very high level. you got yeah. like Nongo in there. Yeah. We get that. You're, yeah. you're you're, you guys are kind of like a, like an undercard promotion for, you know, giving people that opportunity to to get the fights in as well and, exactly. and taking it to the next level. Mm -hmm. So are you guys trying to fill the gap for m the missing MX? Um, well, we'll do a bunch of different things. So Muay Thai, MMA, maybe in the future we'll have boxing, who knows. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of fighters, especially, I mean, you know, in Thailand, it's, we're full of fighters here and maybe there's not enough opportunities, especially in MMA. And there's a lot of MMA gyms in Phuket, so we're here to provide that platform for people to fight. Where do you see the evolution of Thailand Muay Thai fighters transitioning into MMA? Now we see uh, Loma Lokbumi, she's mm -hmm. been on the podcast. I've had Top Noi on the podcast. Um, and there's a couple of fighters from uh, Bangtao Muay Thai and MMA. Yeah. They're transitioning into MMA. Mm -hmm. As you're involved in the gyms, are you starting to see a lot of ties that are deciding, okay, maybe there's more opportunity in MMA? Do you see them getting away from the traditional Muay Thai uh, gyms and moving to MMA gyms? Mm. Um, good question. I see the real, real Muay Thai fighters, especially in Bangkok, no. They're staying strictly Muay Thai. And I think that's because they see promotions now that pay well. Like one championship pays well and right. for Muay Thai. So why would they need to learn a new sport? Um, maybe if they're in Phuket and they have the opportunity to learn MMA, they get sponsored, then yes, fine. Um, but otherwise, no. Um, the, the MMA fighters, the Thai ones that I know, are more from like middle class or better uh, better off families and, and levels. For the MMA stuff. Yeah, because then they're more interested in like jujitsu and different sports. But it's from the ones from the countryside who are doing Muay Thai for survival. But if it's a, if it's a Thai from Bangkok doing MMA or jujitsu, it's because they have money. Uh, because the cost to go to these gyms yeah. is not cheap. Yeah. I mean, you want to go to Tiger, Bangtao, South. Uh, so if yeah. that's the case, they'd have to be professional Muay Thai fighters who get sponsored by these gyms in Phuket who really want to um, push MMA for them, which is happening, but not like in big numbers. And, and even at these other gyms, so like Revolution over here, Sutai, yep. they, they are very Muay Thai gyms. Mm -hmm. I mean, Revolution, those fighters are going to Lumpani. Yes. Um, it's, it's a real Muay Thai gym. If you come to Phuket, Thailand, and you want the, the opportunity to fight at Lumpani, I mean, these gyms like Revolution and Sutai are a great choice. Yeah. These guys, when you're in that gym, and let's say the trainers are just that whole brotherhood camaraderie, and one of the Muay Thai guys mm -hmm. said, I want to go to MMA, don't you find they kind of push them away? Like, no, you need to stay tradition to, to Muay Thai. Like, so they're not allowing them to go to MMA. I mean, if they're a popular fighter and they're getting a lot of fights under the, under the you know, a lot of fights, then why would they need to go to MMA? Yeah, I think that's the beauty with 
um, Chatri and, and bringing yeah. in, in one championship, especially since COVID, because even during COVID, like one was kind of still just growing. Yeah. But now it's exploded yeah. watching these guys. Doing like, these weekly fights really helped as well. Yeah, the weekly fights. Mm -hmm. I mean, in, when you're watching Rogan, they're pushing it. Like, yeah. the, the, who did Superlect super fought? Um, his Rotang. Like, oh, unreal. Yeah, it was. So unless you know, <laughs> know Muay Thai and yeah. what you're actually watching, like yeah. this is just equivalent as watching like the top fighters in UFC. Like, this is the best of the best. Amazing of talent. Yeah, really, really amazing talent. What happened before one championship came? Where would have Rod Tang and uh, Superlek be fighting? Would it have been Lumpini? Yeah, Lumpini, Rajanun. And they're going for those stadium titles. Yeah. So how do those promotions... are Now, are they WBC? Like, uh, usually... Like, the, what is the promotion no. going on at Lump... Or is kind of the... The, the Lumpini belt, the Rajanun belt. Is there a conflict between one and these stadiums because maybe fighters are starting to leave? Or are they fighting both? Um, I believe one of the promoters at Rajam Nuren, um, he used to feed fighters to one championship, but then they had some conflict. And so that relationship broke off. So, yeah, maybe like there's some issues, but I think what can they do now, you know? Yeah, it's interesting to watch because I've always questioned that. Like, but if there's a gym owner or a fighter uh, or a, f a fight manager who has his Muay Thai fighters contracted to him, like that's wherever he wants them to fight is that's it. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. What What is your vision and your goal for uh, M two MMA? M2 MMA. <laughs> Where do you see that going? I mean, do you have a vision board? What is the next five years going to look like? Um, so we plan our next next year, 2024, the first two shows in Thailand, the second two in South Africa, and the last two in Dubai or UAE. And then after that, it's going to expand as well. It's going to be a lot more shows than that. Um, but with our fighters, we, we are very fighter-focused. We do not want to have exclusivity because, for example, I know a lot of fighters who are signed to one, um, they have a certain amount of fights, like, for example, three per year, and sometimes they don't get those three per year and they can't fight any anywhere else. Mm. So we don't want that to happen because we really care about our fighters. We want them to, okay, if you have a fight lined up with us, okay, of course, don't pick, on, pick up another fight during this time. But if, we don't, if you don't, then fine, go fight somewhere else, make some money, mm -hmm. you know, support your family. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, a lot of these promotions, people get locked in and maybe they're offered fights, but they can't take them or they maybe it's not smart to take them at that point in time. Who knows? Yeah. Well, I mean, one have a lot of fighters contracted to them and maybe there's just not enough shows to provide those opportunities for everyone. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I agree. It's um, especially the, the bigger names that they are pushing, but at least yeah. they, they're getting tons of fights out there. There's a lot going on. I think a lot of the one, it's for free on YouTube, isn't it, half the time? In Thailand. In Thailand. So, yeah. uh, so maybe if you have just a, uh, what is it, a VPN, <laughs> yeah. you can hack it, right? <laughs> yeah. Sound, yeah, I think so. Because uh, at least, maybe, you know, in America, it's on Prime, I need a VPN Prime, sponsor right? here. No, I'm <laughs> Okay, um, just before we wrap this up, mm -hmm. I think I've tried to keep it under an hour. I always forget to look at the clock. Okay. Um, for anyone out there, how can they connect to you, whether they want to be a sponsor of ITMMA, mm -hmm. ITMA, MA, or if they want to get involved um, or be a fighter and, and maybe reach out to you yeah. for uh, M M2 MMA as well, or just to say hello. How can anyone reach out to you? You can so always follow me and message me in Instagram. But before that, I just want to talk a, bit, yeah. a little bit more about M2MA, if that's okay. Yeah, no problem. Um, because the main company is a science company, 
that's what we're going to integrate into M2MMA. We're going to back it with science and AI and really look after the fighters when it comes to health and longevity and, and optimal uh, human performance. We really, really want to combine all of that. So it will be something unique. I can't really explain what it will be yet, but it will be something that's totally different and unique. Like, again, bringing in your background of uh, maybe psychology and exactly. offering some mental mental health work. Or, or, or those... You, Fighters need a mental coach as well, which yeah. most don't, yeah. and kind of bringing supplements into this world as well. And yeah, supplements them. and using AI to track performance, to track the training, um, and like I said about the science as well, we, w um, we want to uh, make sure the fighter is taken care of, you know, pre, post, and, uh, pre and post their mm -hmm. fight career, you know, so how can they have a, a longer, healthier life, you know, when it comes to concussion and things like that, what can our company do to help them, you know, uh, take better care of that yeah, yeah i mean this is a, it's a dangerous sport that's why yeah i mean i i used to train muay thai but uh probably four years and then at a certain point like my knees my elbows like just doing pad work i'm like i'm like i don't know if i want to do this <laughs> i know uh, maybe when you're younger like yeah. let's say under 25 but i think i stopped around 32 yeah I'm, i've got to that point now uh, where i'm just like, like everything hurts <laughs> well it's, it's difficult especially in the the muay thai gyms here they yeah the trainers, they they don't absorb the punch. They like to meet you somewhere. Mm. And then, like, I would go and do pad work, and, like, my I couldn't go lift weights for a week because, like, you get this almost like a tennis elbow. Yeah. And it'd be extreme, or just the wrist itself yeah. because they're never meeting you on the full extension. Mm -hmm. They'll meet you here because they love the s sound of the slap. Right. And uh, at a certain age, you're like, okay, that's enough of that. But yeah, I need to find a different trainer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've tried. Well, that, that's, that is a difficulty at many gyms. Yeah. Uh, that that's actually a, a word of advice if you're a friend coming here and obviously uh, you're, you're not trying to go to the next level just do pad work be very careful on the first mm -hmm. trainer you decide to be your trainer for pad work because you cannot easily just switch yeah if you do 20 lessons with that guy you're better and you don't want him you you probably should just go to another gym because you can't <laughs> they get a very lot of, territorial they get very territorial there's a lot of inner politics so i made that mistake which is fine and, mm. and it wasn't a bit it wasn't a, an issue nor that I, I didn't care that much yeah but if you're like i want a one-on-one um, -on -one muay thai trainer from a gym go in and maybe take a week or so to decide who you're going to work with because you cannot switch so easily yeah. later yeah and some and some trainers you really click with and some you don't so yeah, yeah you gotta feel the flow yeah Okay, um, just before we wrap it up, I'm going to kick it back to this camera to you. So if you can let every, if you just stare into the soul of that camera and just let everyone know exactly Which how one? they can, all oh, the big, big lens. Oh, big one, okay. Yeah, let them know exactly how can they find you, okay. all your, all your um, social um, channels. And I'm okay. going to put all links down. Oh, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> okay, so you can find me, I would say on Instagram at Jade Marissa Official. I'm sure... Brendan will yep. tag that. And then World Muay Thai Organization, you can find that. Uh, M2 MMA, that one's easy. And then we also have Crew Muay Thai Association where we offer Muay Thai teacher certifications and uh, ITMA games. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Uh, that wraps up another episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to like, subscribe, leave some comments, let, you know, let us know what you think about uh, Muay Thai. I don't know. All right, we're out. I never know how to end these. All right, see ya. <laughs> Thank you.